So this is an exciting time in the life of our church, a time of new beginnings. We have Chris Edwards, a talented and creative musician who is excited about using his gifts to lead us in music in this place. God's going to try to use me as a pastor for this unique worship community. He's got his work cut out from him, but I've never seen him back down to a good challenge before. We are just beginning to live into our new mission statement, to love God and love neighbor. And as a church, we get to wonder and experiment with ideas that bring us into closer community as one church family. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had the joint service and the big fall kickoff, which was a great success. We have Day of Hope, which the whole entire church family rolls up their sleeves and makes this an amazing day for our young people who maybe don't have all the resources that some of our kids have. You may not know, but the Easter sunrise service has morphed into Pastor Steve preaching and our worship band leading the music. And of course, we have the Siesta Beach Christmas service that is put on by the campus center people, all the garden people, but it's for everyone. And just coming up in October, there'll be Trunk or Treat, where the entire church family opens up their arms to all of the young families that are in this community that maybe don't have a church home yet. You see, we are one church that is so blessed to have two different styles of worship. Pastor Steve recently said, well, if someone likes classical music, send them to the sanctuary. If they like contemporary music, send them to the campus center. One church, one mission, love God, love neighbor, and one hope that we as faithful people will live into the truth that we are so loved by a God who desperately wants a relationship with us that he became one of us so that he could show us the way back to him. This is a story that we just can't keep to ourselves. So we want Church of the Palms to be positioned on the block of Bee Ridge and Lockwood Ridge, preferably without road construction. But is this to be a gathering place for all of God's children to come just as they are, and then to experience a little bit of God's love? to hear a little bit of God's story, whether it's in our preschool Monday through Friday or with our tutors on Tuesdays and Thursdays or Sunday mornings right here in the campus center or across the courtyard in the sanctuary. And then we get to take it out, of, take it out from here into our neighbors and our communities. Our hope is that we leave this place with just a bit of God's story woven into our own. And the more that God fills us up, the more that God will spill out of us in the ways that we talk to each other and in the ways that we treat each other, which just might make someone wonder, hey, how can I have what they have? And then we invite them to Church of the Palms, whether it's one of our community events like Trunk or Treat or one of our worship services here or on the beach. We are so blessed to have this thriving place where so many different people can feel at home. On Sunday mornings, we are once again using the narrative lectionary for the biblical text, both here and in the sanctuary, and in our small groups for kids. This is the third year of a four-year cycle, and I know some of you like a roadmap so you know where we're going. So basically, we follow the sweep of God's story from Genesis all the way through to the early church. 
So from now until mid-December, we'll begin in the early chapters of Genesis. We'll move through the stories of Israel's early history, the Exodus, the kings, the prophets, exile, and return. And then from Christmas to Easter, there's a a sustained reading of one of the Gospels. And this year, we're in the Gospel of Luke, which is awesome. And then from Easter to Pentecost, the texts are chosen from Acts and from some of Paul's letters. So here's one of the best parts about the narrative lectionary, and that is our daily Bible readings. I think this is important because it helps us as a faith family really live into that first part of our mission statement to love God. It's hard to love someone that we don't know. Doesn't your heart just open up when you hear someone's story? Well, I think the same is true for God. So we have these daily readings. There's about 10 verses a day, and they take us through God's story until we meet again the next Sunday. These are in our bulletin, and then I also put a a picture of, or a card of this on our table where we do our name tag, so you can take a picture of it on your phone, so you'll have it with you for the whole week. It'll be a really great way for all of us, really church-wide, to go through this journey together. And as an act of loving God, we will listen to God's story, and then in our prayers begin to wonder how God might be speaking to us and how his story might be woven into ours. B.B. Warfield wrote, if you want to hear God's voice, read your Bible out loud. So with that, let's hear God's voice for today. I asked Al Jeffrey, one of our elders on session, to read the scripture passage for us. It's a really easy one to find. So if you open up your Bibles to Genesis 2, he's going to be reading from verses 4 through 7, 15 through 17, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may, eat, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, But God said, you shall not eat of it, of the fruit of the tree, but that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. 
They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pause in the busyness of our week to worship you. Open our hearts to hear the message you have for each one of us on this day from the word just read and the words to come. Amen. So I'd love to start at the beginning. If I can't see a movie from the beginning, I don't even want to watch it. And I actually like things to progress very neatly from point A to point B to point C, all in a nice linear fashion, one right after the other. But I find that life doesn't really work that way. And certainly my faith journey hasn't worked that way either. If you can imagine a piece of yarn in your very favorite color and hold it out in front of you, if you're a little older, you get a little longer piece of yarn. Now imagine that this yarn represents God. It's your lifeline. So in the beginning, before we're even born, we are connected to God. The prophet Jeremiah writes, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. And David writes of God in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In the beginning, we are one with God. And then life happens. And I don't know about you, but I have always danced all around my lifeline. Sometimes I'm joy-filled and I spring right up with all the great things that I have accomplished on my own. And then sometimes I've had seasons where I've fallen into the depths of despair and I have my own personal pity party thinking I'm just all alone. Now thankfully, most of the time, I'm within earshot of my lifeline. But my life definitely has not been a predictable journey of faith with a neat straight line from point A to point B. And I wonder why that is. I grew up in the church. I was baptized as an infant. I was confirmed as a young teenager. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. I taught Sunday school for crying out loud to kids and to adults. I got married in a church. I raised my kids in a church. And yet... I'm still bouncing all around my God line like a yo-yo. How about you? Have you found yourself securely connected to God throughout your whole life, progressing neatly and easily from beginning to end in a nice straight line, like Nick Walenda walking across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope, one foot always, always touching the lifeline? Or have you been a little bit more like a bungee cord? Now, that's for those of us who've had so much financial success and Ivy League kids that we don't need God. And it's also for those of us who have hit rock bottom. Truthfully, most of us are probably somewhere in between. So the Israelites have these creation stories to explain who God is, who they are in relationship to God, and perhaps why they might not have a nice straight line in their walk with God. And as we explore these texts, we might find out some of these answers for ourselves. Did you hear the plural form of the word creation, stories? 
you probably already know this, but I only learned that there were two creation stories when I was a young adult with children. The first creation story is the one that we're all used to hearing, right? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. And then the narrator tells us what God created on which day. And I love that affirmative word from God after each day of creative work. And God saw that it was good. Did you guys see the movie Noah that came out in 2014? It mostly got panned, but there is this beautiful clip on the first story of creation. Russell Crowe is Noah, and he's telling the first creation story that's found in Genesis 1. Take a look. In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing but the silence of an infinite darkness. But the breath of the Creator fluttered against the face of the void, whispering, Let there be light. And light was. And it was good. The first day. And then the formless light began to take on substance and shape. The second day. And our world was born. Our beautiful, fragile home. And a great warming light nurtured its days. And a lesser light ruled the nights. And there was evening. And morning. Another day. And the waters of the world gathered together. And in their midst, emerged dry land. Another day passed. And the ground put forth the growing things. A thick blanket of green stretching across all creation. And the waters too, teemed with life. Great creatures of the deep that are no more. Vast multitudes of fish, some of which may still swim beneath these seas. And soon, the sky was streaming with birds. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Now the whole world was full of living beings. Everything that creeps, everything that crawls, and every beast that walks upon the ground. And it was good. It was all good. There was light, and air, and water, and soil all clean and unspoiled, your plants and fish and fowl and beasts, each after their own kind, all part of the greater whole, all in their place, and all was in balance. It was paradise, a jewel in the Creator's palm. And the Creator made man, by his side woman, father and mother of us all. He gave them a choice. Follow the temptation of darkness, or hold on to the blessing of light. In my study Bible, at the beginning of the section that Al read, it says, another account of the creation. So in this one, God has made the heavens and the earth, but he hasn't made anything grow on the earth because he doesn't have anyone to take care of it yet. So God says, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to make myself a little helper. Let me grab some um, dirt. Yeah, yeah, I'll use some dirt. Or the NRSV says, God formed man from the dust of the ground. So what do these creation stories say about God? In the first one, God is all-powerful and way out there, divine and distant, just speaking the world into existence. And God said, and bam, 
it happened. Then in Genesis 1.31, after the sixth day, God saw everything that he made, and indeed, it was very good. So we learn that we have a good God and a good creation. Now, in the second creation story, God is standing right on the ground, bending down to scoop up some dirt and breathing into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. God is still powerful, but God is so close, you can feel God's breath on your cheek. God is so close that you could touch him. So when the Israelites were telling these stories around the campfire, did their life experience teach them that God is both powerful and divine and distant, as well as loving, kind, and close? Have you experienced God in both of these ways? I think I have. Almost every morning, I take our husky Malachi outside when I get up in the wee hours of the morning. The majesty of God's creation in the moon and the stars takes my breath away every time. And I thank God for this amazing universe every time. And when my mom, who is still living in Reno, was really sick a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of giving her a bath. Now, even though we are a fairly open family, I thought it might be a bit awkward. But as I reflected on the countless numbers of baths that she had given me as a child, and in all the ways that she loved me with her hands and her words, God's presence was palpable in that sacred moment of water and a little soap and a lot of love. God is both near and far. So what do these creation stories tell us about us, about humankind? In the first story, God created people in his image, a spark of divine In the second story, we are clearly connected to the earth. Not only are we made from dirt, but we're going to return to dirt when we die. A bit of divine, a bit of dirt. I can relate. There is this tension that reflects the human condition because in some ways we are like God, and then in other ways we are profoundly not like God in our earthiness, in our finitude. An Old Testament scholar named Patrick Miller writes, the whole narrative of the primeval history, which is Genesis 1 through 11, flows out of this tension between being created like God and seeking to become God. One points to the human possibility, the other points to its plight. And that was the part of the temptation for Adam and Eve, wasn't it? That sneaky snake said, if you eat from the tree of knowledge, you will be just like God, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve were made for relationship. God wanted them to care for the land, the animals, for one another, and of course for God. Yet their strong desire to disobey God and the rules pulled them away from their calling, and it changed everything. It changed our relationship with God, it changed our relationship with one another, and it changed our relationship with creation. 
But God created us. God made us with this longing or this hole or this desire. I was made for this. So why did it go so wrong? David Lowe's writes, part of being human is being aware that we are insufficient, that we are not complete in and of ourselves. To be human is to be aware that we carry inside ourselves a hole, an emptiness that will always be restless to fill. Adam and Eve see the forbidden fruit and they conclude in a heartbeat that their hole is shaped just like that fruit. Yet after they eat, the emptiness remains. So what are you made for? It's not as simple as looking at someone like Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympian in history with 28 medals and a wingspan of 6 feet 7 inches. Clearly, this guy was made for swimming. But the question, what are you made for, goes deeper than physical features. This is a picture of my middle daughter, Hallie, flipping on a balance beam. We used to think that Hallie was made for gymnastics. She had dreams of becoming a collegiate gymnast until she fell from the uneven bars in ninth grade and broke her back. By some grace and mercy that we surely don't deserve, Hallie walked out of the hospital a week later with a turtle shell brace that she wore for three months to keep her body immobilized. During this time, she connected with her orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Patel, and that encounter formed a new dream for Hallie to be a doctor. She just graduated from UF and is in the process of applying for medical school. Anyone who knows Hallie knows she was made for that, but it goes deeper than careers. Maybe you saw the story where the Florida State football team visited a middle school in Tallahassee. The star-wide receiver, Travis Rudolph, saw a boy sitting alone in the cafeteria, and he asked him if he could sit with him. The sixth grader, named Bo Pesk, said, sure, why not? And they ate, and they talked. You see, Travis Rudolph didn't know at the time, but Bo has autism, and he often eats lunch all by himself. This photo of the unlikely pair went viral on social media. Bo's mom said that she is sometimes grateful that her son has this condition. She says, I know it's bad, I know it sounds bad, like maybe a terrible thing for me to say, but in some ways, I think, I hope it shields him. He doesn't seem to notice when people stare at him when he flaps his arms. He doesn't seem to notice that he doesn't get invited to birthday parties anymore. And he doesn't seem to mind that he eats lunch alone. She said, I don't know why this kind young man would share a lunch table with my son, but this will soon not be forgotten. This is one day that I didn't have to worry if my sweet boy ate lunch alone because he sat across from someone who is a hero in many eyes. When her son Bo was asked about the encounter and how it made him feel, Bo said, it was kind of like me sitting on a rainbow. This was a great day for Bo, and maybe it helped a young star football player see that he might be made for something more than just football. With or without his uniform, he can do good in the world, but it goes deeper than even this. 
God created us with a God-sized hole that can only be filled with God. We have desire and longing, and there is no shortage of temptations to fill it. Money, power, knowledge, food, career, alcohol, drugs, shopping, you fill in the blank. But at the end of the day, the earthly stuff will not fill the hole. We will still be empty. St. Augustine said, we humans are always restless until we rest in God. So what are we made for? Jesus shows us how to love God and how to love neighbor. And I'm pretty sure that it wasn't his wingspan, but rather the hole in his heart that was just God-sized that made Jesus stretch out his arms and say, I was made for this. So during those times of bungee jumping away from our lifeline, know that we have a Savior who has been tempted just like us, and he taught us how to hold each other's hands and how to remind each other that God is right here in us and between us, filling us up with all things good. Amen.